Hello everyone, my name is Logan, and I am your host for The Crowncast, the podcast where we talk about everything related to Charlotte FC, especially the fantastic, 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 okay, I'm done doing that, I promise, win over New England Revolution. I am here, as always, with Justin. Hello, Justin. How you doing, Logan? You know, I have this thing, I've really gotten to enjoy starting to pick up and do these introductions to the podcasts. And uh, sometimes I feel like they're really good, and sometimes I feel like they're not so good. But you know what? I think that's part of our, <laughs> that's part of our je ne sais quoi, if you will. You know, that's what the listeners really want. I think not not the but, soccer, not the football, not the analysis, the the weird intros. Sometimes the matches that we talk about are going to be good. Sometimes they're going to be poor. There's no reason the intro should be any different. <laughs> that is absolutely the truth, and we are. So lucky that today we get to be talking about one of those good matches, one of those great matches. Um, possibly will be the match of the season, but I hope not. I hope we get more like it. Uh, oh, I hope this is the first of many that look like this. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, we discussed on the Instant Reaction or the Post-Match Reaction podcast uh, that is already out. If you guys want to hear the the crazy we are uh, deep in the celebration reaction to that please go check that out this is going to be the little bit more measured approach we're going to talk about what went well why it went well uh and what went wrong and why it went wrong uh because of the outcome and the result we are going to spend a little bit more time on what went well we hope that you will appreciate going on that with us Uh, but we do want to highlight where things can get better and i do think really quick here uh justin we do have to say this is our first ever win. It is. Yeah. Uh, it is the first, you know, after what's this, our fourth match overall. And, mm-hmm. and we've gone ahead and taken a win. We've gone ahead and taken three points and it was coming. You know, I think that we saw the progress from the first match up to this one, but I don't know if we necessarily expected it to be new England. You know, we, mm-hmm. we, talked in our post react about this is the team that won the supporter shield last season this is one of the old guard of mls they've been around for a very long time they have some very recognizable names around the club uh but very recognizable names and a history of you know effectiveness within mls doesn't matter in the 2022 season yeah it is absolutely one of those things that uh yeah, sometimes the bigger they are, the harder they fall. And the more it means for us, I know I can tell you the more it means to the fans because uh, having seen the reaction, not just to the game, but also to the post-react, uh, we got so much feedback and we got so much reaction out of that. Thank you all so much for interacting with us, for for sending in your reviews. Uh, we had one, one gentleman who came up and said that uh, he was only just getting into soccer and his, uh, his experience with our podcast made him want to go and actually buy tickets to see it live. And you cannot give us a better review than that. That made my day. Justin, hopefully it makes yours too. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think if you can hear from somebody that, you know, they listen to our pod and now they're excited to see particular players that we're talking about or, or you know, watch the the structure and the formation of the play, um, that, that feels pretty good. That It feels nice to know, too, that we're sort of spreading this gospel of, of Charlotte FC and the beautiful game uh, to, to Charlotte. Yeah, it is. It's a really, really, really good feeling. And on the, the, the track of that, the fact that there is still a lot of energy and a lot of excitement, and we have to imagine there's going to be more 
after a win like that. We have to imagine that this thing is is just going to hopefully keep growing, uh, not just this podcast, but Charlotte FC in general. We have to take a quick moment to talk about the fact that something we discussed before, uh, the stadium was only half full. And the stadium was only half full because uh, we didn't sell tickets for the top half of the stadium. Uh, Justin, really quick, do you want to make a note on this? Yeah, I mean... It, it... You know, the stadium is only half full may sound kind of bad. This is purely a business decision. It's, it is purely a business decision by the ownership of uh, Charlotte FC, David Tepper, who also owns the Carolina Panthers. You know, we play in Bank of America Stadium, which is the same stadium the Panthers play in. But the decision has been made to close the upper bowl of the stadium for the vast majority of the games that are played there this season. And so, you know, we are also faced with, outside of the, the sport that's played on the field, the business decisions that are around here, the highest on average ticket prices of any team in the league and we're the expansion team. And, you know, I think there's got to be a little bit of concern around are we pricing the casual fan out and could we include more of those casual fans and stoke more of the energy in the city and get some of the people who listen to the podcast and go, I'm getting really into this or see the crowds on game day and say, I'm really curious about this. Keep them from going to the stadium and then going, Oh, it's $55 for the cheapest ticket. Uh, that's not ideal for us. And there's an opportunity. Maybe you don't open the whole upper bowl, but you can spark a lot of energy. Still, you can get a lot of people in still, you know, if it's partially opened, if it's partially filled and, and you sell cheap tickets there. Yeah, I do think it's absolutely worth it. And again, we're uh, basically throwing this completely off the cuff. I have not looked at any financial spreadsheets that say that it is financially viable to open up those sections. Um, I just know in my heart that I'm right, and so I'm going to say it. Uh, <laughs> well, I... right. What, what we want, what we want as fans, is the best fan experience possible, and the best fan experience comes from a bunch of other fans out there excited and having a good time, and you know. What I don't want is I don't want the lower bowl to start emptying as the season goes on because the luster of the new toy starts to fade a little bit. And you have fans going and saying, I can't drop, you know, Panthers prices yeah. on Charlotte FC tickets right now. I can't go take, you know, at cheapest tickets right now for a family of four to go watch the match. It's over $200 before you even get in the stadium. Yeah, that's that's, that's a challenge. Asking a lot. Yeah, and I, so I will say I do think it's absolutely worth it that, you know, hopefully they, they hear our voices. They certainly they certainly listen to us with everything else we say. I mean, we have yep. already established that we basically run the Charlotte <laughs> FC. Um, so hopefully they hear our voices on this one. And, you know, there will always be this debate about what is best for football and, uh, you know, how does it cater to the fans that are actually going to be in the ground versus the fans that uh, get to watch the game wherever you are in the world. Uh, that debate will always be there, and how best to, to present this, uh, this, this content, because ultimately that's what it is. I mean, it, it is a, a piece of content. But, boy, with all the excitement that's around it, we do just wish that we could see more stands in the ground, uh, and more stands, more fans in the ground. And I don't think there's anybody out there that's going to be upset with that opinion. No, I mean, I don't think so. I, I think the only thing that you got to do is you got to find a price point, I think, that, that works and and a 
you know, the decisions about do you open part of that that lower bowl up? What else can you do? There's already premium experiences for for the fans that want to pay for the premium experiences. I mean, you know, the club level looks amazing. Uh, the area around the vault and the, the player walkthrough, you know, you talked about some of that early in the season. Uh, I think it's great. Yeah. But you also, I think, have to have an opportunity for the fans who aren't, you know, quarter of a million dollar banker bros <laughs> to, so, to get in consistently to these matches and be excited about this team. Yeah, so I, I think we've made our we made our statement here. And like we said, hopefully they listen to us. I do want to shift onto something a little bit more fun. And uh, that is, Justin, you hit me with a fantastic line earlier. You are already aware I'm a huge <laughs> fan of Miguel Ramirez, um, who we may refer to as M-A-R. Uh, oh, you gave him a great nickname. What was it? Yeah, he's uh, he's great value pep. He is the he is the Walmart generic version of Pep Guardiola, the celebrated manager of Manchester City. And uh, if you hear my voice catch, it's because I'm complimenting Manchester City, which doesn't feel good. <laughs> I can uh, compliment Manchester City because I'm relatively, uh, you know, indifferent to that cause. But uh, Pep Guardiola is widely known across the sport of football as a revolutionary as somebody who designed some of the most effective modern uh, portions of the game and managed to make them work in the world and so he has kind of been at the forefront of of the modern game uh for you know seven ish years now and we are seeing a very similar sort of approach with Miguel Ramirez uh, to this team, and that that gives us huge cause to be excited. It's a very challenging thing to do. Managers all over the world try to mimic a little bit of the magic that Pep Guardiola brings to his football teams, and uh, the fact that uh, Ramirez is is at the very least getting a little bit of that magic sounds great to me. Uh, that being a said, a lot of the stuff that we talked about before, a lot of the cut, but you know, we we talked about the four three three that Guardiola plays in a previous pod and. Some of those cutbacks and the score from the spot sort of style we saw against New England. And so I think there's a lot of that. There's also the semi-obvious, if you ever get a chance to Google a picture of Pep Guardiola and then look at a picture of Miguel Angel Ramirez, they're both, you know, kind of Latin descent sort of looking. Uh, they're both bald. They're, they're both stubbly, you know. Uh, are you enough? Physical. Are you, are you profiling? Are you profiling I, football managers? Apparently, to be a manager that plays very attractive football, you need to be, you know, a little bit Latin. You need to be bald. You need to have. This is more than five o'clock stubble. You're talking about, you know, three day stubble. Uh, but but apparently, that's what makes a good football manager. You don't need, you know, individual skill or anything like that. You just need to look the part. You know what? Uh, as long as we as long as we play good, I'll buy it, right? As long as we play good, I will buy it. Uh, so we are seeing sort of in his vein this formation shift into the four four two, and I think once we establish a little bit more solidity in any formation, and the starting eleven gets nailed down a little bit more, you and I can go into a dive for the, the listeners about how the four four two moves us up the pitch. But what's important for us now is that it is moving to a system that wants us to move up the pitch. 
instead of a system that wants us to be really defensively solid and hopefully get a lucky break away. Uh, we are now looking to to move forward, to attack, to get numbers up front, and we saw it. I mean, it is a it is a direct translation from our changes to that, along with some player changes that result in three goals and three points uh, for us at Charlotte FC this last time. So formation shift into a four four two. That is one that I am. I'm very glad we see, and hopefully it sort of solidifies in continuing this exciting, attacking, fluid direction. Justin. Yeah, and really the thing the thing around the formational shift is is more so it looks like we're getting the players in place, up to fitness, ready to go, that fit the system that Miguel Angel Ramirez wants to play for us. You know, I think the first match that we saw uh, against DC in the three five, like the five three two you know, uh, hyper-defensive formation was really just MAR kind of going, I don't have the players here yet. I don't have the pieces that are in place and of the right level of fitness and have drilled enough in these positions to play the formation I want to play. Now that we are getting closer to the formation that I think Ramirez wants to play, we're seeing three goals come in. And so, you know, it's it's very promising and something we said in the post react is very promising to see us moving towards this type of play instead and and that's what the formation shift to me is is uh saying is is showing us yeah and uh justin while we both certainly feel like we deserve to come out on top of this match you know one of the things we loved so much is not just that we did come out on top but it felt like we deserved it it felt like we won that match not we got away with that match uh, but one of the things you feel like, uh, not that we didn't earn, but we may have gotten a little lucky on, is actually the first goal. Do you want to walk us through and really go in depth here? Because this is our chance to to, to talk about how it works. Goal one uh, for us and how it happens. Yeah, and so there's a couple of like big things to sort of highlight in this. And the first is definitely something that was missing in, in some of the early matches, and that is sort of the close one-two passing. So, uh, you know, Elaine Franco and uh, Jordi Alcivar play a nice series of back and forth. And again, this is the kind of thing that you see from, again, the managers that sort of learn from the Pep Guardiola school of, of uh, you know, attacking football is you can play this possession-heavy one-touch back and forth while you probe and look for the space to open up. Um, and it's nice to see that, you know, it's, it's very nice to see, uh, uh, Franco and Alcivar being able to play in this way and being able to attack on the right where previously we've talked about Jalen Lindsay didn't look like he had a lot of support in terms of attack on the right. And so, you know, that's good to see. And then speaking of Jalen Lindsay, the other piece that I want to talk about with this is runs away from the ball and what they do offensively. Because Jalen Lindsay makes a nice burst away from the one-twos that are being played. And if a New England defender doesn't follow him, then Lindsay is open, headed towards the touchline to try and cross in. If a New England player does follow him, which he does, it opens spaces for those one-twos with, with Franco and Alcivar. Um, and then uh, 
one of the last the last time that Alcivar plays back to Franco, Alcivar turns and makes a dashing run across the box kind of towards the penalty spot, which also, you know, it draws a defender and I think it freezes the two central defenders. And Elaine Franco has an opportunity to just square an easy ball to Carol Swiderski in space. And then Swiderski hits a low percentage shot from the top of the box with his, he's got a strong left foot, but hits a relatively low percentage shot and it sneaks in, uh, you know, inside the post. Um, it's amazing to see. It's, it's great to see a striker just put it on frame from outside of the 18, because I don't know how many of our listeners have ever kicked a soccer ball from 18 yards away from the goal. But if you're really trying to crack it, if you're really trying to get power behind it, it's not the easiest thing in the world to make sure that that stays on frame and then making sure that it stays not just on frame, but in a dangerous area slots just inside the left post for this shot. I mean, that is difficult to do. And Carol Swiderski makes it look easy here. Um, the only other thing that I really want to mention on this goal, and this is sort of something that we've got to caveat all of this with is there were a lot of deficiencies in this new England team. That's not to say that Charlotte did not absolutely deserve this win because they did. They outplayed New England. But New England's level of play was not particularly high in this one. Um, it's what good teams do. The, the, like if, if Charlotte FC is becoming a good team, which I think they are, this is what good teams do. You know, you, you put down the, the teams that aren't playing well. You put down the teams that, that just aren't quite as good. But... A lot of space was left for Swiderski. The keeper on this shot had vision on Swiderski the whole time. Didn't make the save. So I have a quick question for you here, and that is, you know, in the same vein that you're talking about, even if this keeper has vision, you know, for somebody who is not as in touch with, with football, even if this keeper has vision, do you think that just the pace of the shot and maybe maybe a keeper thinking there's no way he's going to shoot from here would would cause him, uh, you know, to be a little bit slower? Or do you still feel like if that was Christian Kalina, would you have expected him to save that? There's a lot of different things that could have, you know, caught the keeper out. Maybe he thinks he's going to aim top corner or something like that. But I would say that if Christian Kalina faces this same shot, Christian Kalina palms this wide of the post. It's out for a corner for Charlotte at that point, but this is a relatively low percentage shot against you know an above average keeper because i think that's what christian kalina is this i think is a fairly easy save oh well i mean one of the things that we can talk about is is a it did at least in this uh option go into the back of the net and we are thankful yep. for it uh all of the fans were very thankful for it but unfortunately we are not the only uh, team that did score in this as much as we would love to talk about this being a three nil clean sheet. Uh, it wasn't. And so we can't, uh, we can summon that into, into existence. We can believe it into existence for the next game, but I do want to talk very briefly about what happens for our, uh, our down moment in the game. We do have another PK that beats Christian Kalina. And at this point in time, it seems like only his own defender scoring on him or a PK is capable of getting a ball by him. But there are a couple, uh, there are a couple moments that need to be shouted out here, just, just so we all keep our heads on level. Uh, the first one is Brant Bronigo. 
Bronico is on the left side of our field at this point in time, and he panics. There is no other way to say this than he panics. Uh, he, he gets a little bit uncomfortable with the ball, and he just assumes that there is going to be someone where he is going to place this ball, that if he plays it backwards, everything is going to be safe. And this is one of the most dangerous things in football. We see it happen all the time where a, a moment of panic creates a, well, I'll just do this, and not actually getting your head up to understand where the play is, where the offensive players are, and where your defensive players are. And we see it here. Uh, he passes the ball in a terrible position right back. It, it opens us up. And the one that I'm going to call out because we praise him all the time is Christian Kalina. He gets left in an awful position here. But if you go back and you watch what happens for this goal, Christian Kalina sees this play developing the whole time. Christian Kalina is somebody who we can reasonably say has very good vision and very good understanding of the field. You don't make the saves that he makes without it. Uh, he is also learning how to be a more front, for, uh, front foot forward, you know, I'm going to command my space keeper. And you can see what I hope was just a, a little rise up of old style goalkeeping in him here. Because when that ball gets played through, uh, when it goes, you know, into his box, you can actually see him start to sprint for it. And as he starts to sprint, he pulls up for just a half a second. And keep in mind, in professional sports, half a second is all it takes, right? Half a second scores you goals. He pulls up for half a second. And then he goes, oh, no, I have to get this. Front, front foot forward, front foot forward. And sprints at it again. And it's this half of a second delay of should I actually go for this that ultimately gets him to the ball second and puts us in a really dangerous position. Uh, this is one of those things that, you know, uh, the, the PK was taken well. It's right down the middle. He waits till Christian Kalina dives. It, there's nothing you can do about that. PKs are almost always scored by the, by the person taking them. But... Christian Kalina has an opportunity there to be a front foot forward keeper and come out, command his box, say, this area is mine, get a, get a piece of that ball, and we possibly win this game with a clean sheet. So mistake number one, in my opinion here, is that, that half step of should I do this? And I'm going to take it another step further because we learned this all throughout being a, a keeper is you get to change your mind once as a keeper. If your first instinct is go for it and then the play develops and you see that that's a bad decision, you immediately have to counter reverse and go to holding your line. Uh, if your first instinct is I need to leave this to my defenders, I need to make sure that this line is solid and then the play develops, and you say, my defender tripped, then maybe you have to make a last chance push out. Uh, what you cannot do is change your mind twice. And this gets hammered, or at least it got hammered into me, uh, years and years and years and years on. And this was why, if you listen to the post-react, I say, 
for all the good he does, I am going to say there's, I, I did not like this from Christian Kalina. It looks like he changes his mind twice. And it is only because he changes his mind twice that he is so late to that challenge. And it's so reckless, right? Maybe he's a little bit late if he goes the first time, but he probably gets something of the ball. And a referee probably says, well, the keeper has a right to his box and he has a right to go for the ball, right? Because of that, that double change, he neither controls the play he, or he does not control the play. He exacerbates the problem. And from the guy who is your literal last line of defense, that's not really what you want to see. Uh, I mean, Justin, you know, with that sort of knowledge out there, do you see where I am coming from? I mean, I do. Uh, you know, I, I think that Kalina has next to no time to make that decision. And, and he does make a bad choice there. I, probably the only reason he's still on the pitch is because I think as Carlos Gil moves that ball past him, it's moving away from goal. I think if it's moving towards goal, that's probably considered denial of a goal scoring opportunity. And Kalina's red, you know, booked with red and off the pitch. Um, but, you know, I think uh, I, I work in risk analysis and one of the things is, is root cause analytics and the root cause for all of this is Bronico with just a brain dead pass. Yeah. I mean, ultimately, that is what creates the opportunity for the other team. And uh, while we like to see better of of our heroes, you know, uh, this is a, this is hopefully a learning moment. And, you know, thankfully today it doesn't cost us. Thankfully today we still get our three points. Yep, because just three minutes later, you know, it, it, I, I don't know that anybody had fully recovered, though. But uh, uh, just just three minutes later, there's a, a ball over the top, and it's kind of a searching, like a hopeful ball. But Carol Swiderski does a couple of things really well uh, here in the build-up to the attack on our second goal, the third overall in the match. And there's a little stutter step where he's, he's ahead of the defender as the ball's coming over the top. And instead of setting it up as we're both going to challenge in the air for this, Swiderski slows his run and sort of lets the defender run into the backside of him. But this lets the ball drop in front of both of them, which I think is better for Swiderski there because he can control a little better than than going up and trying to win an aerial duel. Um, then he comes in with, with a really nice uh, touch jumping and and claiming the ball uh but uh but tapping it with his foot across the box i think it comes off of rios a little bit or, or just misses rios but it falls to ben bender and bender hesitates for a second i think maybe has seized the opportunity for a low percentage you know near post shot to try and beat the keeper or anything like that but but and this is something that i absolutely love from Bender at, at 21 and I think a lot of 21 year olds, that's the first thing they think is, is how do I get to score this goal? How do I find the back of the net here? But Swiderski finishes his run after uh, tapping the ball across and he finishes his run right around the penalty spot, just inside the 18 and Ben Bender cuts it back to him and puts it in a great spot for, for that left foot of Swiderski again. And uh, you mentioned it, in our post-react, Logan, this is a postage stamp of a finish from Swiderski for his brace. Uh, I, it's just all in all, from the attacking players, great build-up into a great finish. 
Yeah, and I'm going to I'm going to highlight this as well because this keeper knows where this ball is going and sees it the whole way. And I think unlike the previous shot we discussed, this shot is just so good that it is unsavable. I mean, oh, yeah. it, it there is no keeper in the world who saves that shot. And like you said, credit to to Bender for having the the peace of mind, the the good vision and the good training again, Miguel Ramirez, we shout you out for the good training to, to keep his head on his shoulders and find that player. But I think one of the things that stands out for me, because that's kind of our second goal is that we're now starting to attack in these multiple dimensions, right? We can, we can now show that we have a strong guy up top. Who's going to take the responsibility and if they give us the space, we're happy to put it over the top to him and let him, you know, create something. But we're also showing that we have the ability to pass through lines and one touch through players. And we didn't just see that with our first goal, but we saw it to great effect in our third goal. So I am one of the people who, you know, as much as I love watching the ball go into the back of the net, I'm one of the people who gets really excited about how it got there. And oh my gosh, if you are like me, please go find any replay of our third goal that you can find and just spend a few minutes drooling over it because that's what it's worth. It's, I mean, it's so good. If you, if you go back and watch it, you can see that I believe it's Rios who gets the ball uh, on our right side of the attack, the defending left side. And he's surrounded by three or four black shirts, three or four New England players. And in one touch... He has the presence of mind. Keep in mind, this is a controlling touch. This isn't like he's already got possession of the ball and he does this with one touch. This is his controlling touch. He sees everything around him and has the presence of mind to play a great little horizontal slide ball out to Alcivar. And Alcivar, facing in the correct direction, a little bit more interior of the field, but not a lot, looks at this and says, okay, I was a good relief valve. I helped take the pressure off. And now we have not just the ability to control the ball, but now we have the possession and can do something with it. So he takes his first touch and he looks ahead of him and says, there are four New England players in front of me, three right in front of me. And I'm not going to get through them carrying this ball. So what if I didn't have the ball? And he has the, the presence of mind, and I'm going to say that a lot because it's such a beautiful thing, to, to just leave the ball behind him. He already knows, without having to look back because he's tracking every single player on the field, he already knows that Swiderski is right behind him. And this shows a lot of trust in Swiderski. And it's one of the things that, that makes me excited for the team is that the people who look like they're going to be regular fixtures in this team are starting to look like they trust each other, like they know where they're going to be, like they have faith that they're going to make the correct plays. He just leaves the ball behind him and sprints through those lines and basically says, if I don't have the ball, what are you going to do, tackle me? Uh, And again, incredible credit now to Swiderski, who has now the third touch on the ball in this play and just instantly splits that line. He sees Alcivar take off. He sees the opportunity, and he plays a fantastically weighted, beautiful ball right through the lines uh, of the New England defense. And it's just 
gorgeous. This sort of one-touch, tap-tap-tap-through football is something that you can talk about and you can enjoy for ages. And it's what we really want to see keep keep coming on. But what could have happened there is Rios could have said, okay, I'll take my first touch to control the ball. And he would have brought the ball down surrounded by four New England players. And he said, okay, I'll take my, te- my second touch to try and relieve pressure. And at that point in time, he would have already been closed down. Best case scenario, he slides the ball out and the New England is already fully reset. Instead of taking those one, two, three touches himself, we take one touch to bring possession back, another touch to create opportunity, and a third touch to break open a team. And that is how counterattacks work. They are so effective because of this little intelligent passing that, that breaks teams open. And we're seeing it from Charlotte FC. We are seeing it in spades. And that, you know, that's not even where this this whole build-up goal ends. Our third goal, if you watch as Alcivar takes this ball into the box, he knows his job, right? I mean, Alcivar could theoretically take another low percentage shot. But if you go back and watch the replay, watch right as he crosses the 18-yard box. He picks his head up and he very clearly clocks the eventual goal scorer, Ben Bender, right? And he says, I'm not the person who's in the best position to take the shot, but somebody is in a great position. How do I make his job easier? It's just an incredible act of selflessness. So instead of diving towards the goal and trying to make the the shot, he dives towards the goal, towards the end line, drawing all of those defenders onto him because he's dangerous, and then makes an incredible cutback. And Justin, you highlighted this earlier. This isn't, I mean, Bender's cutback previously was, it had good vision. He knew where people on the field were. This is through like two or three players with fantastic vision. Uh, And credit to Ben Bender, who, because of the way the ball had to be delivered, it was kind of bouncing up and down. So it wasn't an easy shot to hit. But Ben Bender then, a bouncing ball, one touch, absolutely fires it into the top left corner of the net. And that is a team goal. The the touches that were that made up that that scoring goal, along with how good the finish is, make it just if we could watch this all day, every day, we would. Because it is it is the Pep Guardiola style of football. Uh, so our budget Pep I have no doubt had a lot to do in creating opportunities like this one. And if we continue to do what we did for that third goal, we will tear teams apart. We will tear teams apart. I mean, Justin? Yeah, I mean, one of the things I want to highlight that you mentioned is the weight on these passes. As you talk about all of them from from Rios to Alcivar, Alcivar to Swiderski, Swiderski back to Alcivar, and then Alcivar with the cutback into to Bender's pass. A properly weighted ball is an underrated technical skill in this game. We've seen a lot of, you know, a, a poorly overweighted ball, a poorly overhit ball is going to run out. If Swiderski overhits the pass ahead, it's going to run out past Alcivar and it's going to run into a position where the keeper can come take, or it's going to run out past Alcivar and it's going to run over the end line. You know, if 
Rios underweights the pass to Alcivar, it's taken by a New England defender, and they're they're in a position instead to attack. So not just the the technical positioning on the pitch, but you know, the the technical capability of these players to weight these passes properly to understand what that feels like and, and how to position the team to score best. Um, it's really exciting to see. And it's what makes for, for the beautiful game. It's what makes Jogo Bonita. Uh, it's that's what makes really pretty soccer is, is well-weighted passing back and forth. Yeah. That, that, that ticky tap quick burst play is, is what we will always want to see. I mean, it is, it's so good, but uh, you know what else is so good, Justin? What's that, Logan? What's so good is having a community here in Charlotte uh, that that supports the community here in Charlotte. And those of you who have listened to the podcasts before know that I am, of course, talking about Potions and Pixels, our sponsor. Uh, we talk about them during uh, all of these because they're a great place to be. Uh, Potions and Pixels is a board game and video game event. Uh, they are nonprofit. They are a part of this community, and they have set out with the intention to make the community better. So if you are someone who is out there and you're looking for a place to learn how to play D&D, very popular right now, uh, looking for a place to learn how to get into tabletop gaming, uh, looking for a place to learn how to get into video gaming or understanding how these things work and what careers, etc., are associated with them, look for on literally any social media potions and pixels uh like we said we actually met there so when we recommend them highly we recommend them very highly and justin is that about enough of that it is it's it's a great it's a great experience it's a great thing to go to i highlighted last time we talked about potions and pixels how amazing it is as a family event to go and do i've got three kids at 19 14 and 8 and they can all find something to do so potions and pixels is a, a wonderful opportunity to get out in the community to get out of your house now that we're moving into maybe a post-COVID world, um, meet some great people, play some great games, have a great time. Yeah, and uh, a special thanks to Potions and Pixels for putting up with our ad reads because, you know, we try and make them fun and interesting. Uh, on to... We do. Yeah, I mean, sometimes it even works, right? Occasionally, uh, I think. And, you know, fun and interesting, since you mentioned it, Logan, there is a fun and interesting little factoid, little piece of information that comes out of this weekend's match that I uh, um, am incredibly excited about. And that is that Carol Swiderski was named in the starting 11 for the MLS Team of the Week. And the manager for the MLS Team of the Week, this is essentially the best 11 players from across the, the teams in, in Major League Soccer. The manager for this week is Miguel Angel Ramirez. And that feels really good to know that this early in the season, there's recognition around Major League Soccer for what this club is building. Yeah, no, that is it. Oh, actually, I believe it was you who sent it to me. So you were really on the ball on that one. You learned it as soon as it came out, I think. And uh, it was so good to see because, it, like you said, it does show that not just are we, the fans, feeling like this is going somewhere, but, but the greater Major League Soccer is, is seeing the potential and is seeing what could be building here because, because it is building. And absolute credit to Swiderski and Ramirez. Congratulations to them. They earned it. They should enjoy it. 
not too long before we see Bender's on that Bender's name on that team sheet. I think. Oh, I think it's not too long before the whole starting eleven is just Charlotte <laughs> FC players, and then the coach is Ramirez. Um, well, although, I don't know love. about the entire starting eleven, Logan. <laughs> I mean, Christian Kalina is going to be on it shortly. The way he's playing. <laughs> Uh, so, I mean, we're going to have Bender, we're going to have Swiderski, we're going to have Ramirez, we're going to have uh, Kalina. Anyway, uh, so while we gush about the the players that we really enjoyed and we think did a great job, uh, you brought something to my attention that I absolutely love. Uh, you discussed with me this idea that I'd like to put into practice here, uh, these blue cards. So, Justin, really quickly, would you give the listeners an explanation of your idea of blue cards? Sure. So, so I think it's easy to call, you know, low lights or, or players who didn't pass our tests or anything like that. But when you misbehave on the pitch, you are carded for it. You know, that's we are showing you the, the official is showing you that you have infringed on the beautiful game in a way that is offensive. And, you know, Charlotte FC, we're out there in the, the blue kits every week and everything like that. I think it's only fair when what is out there on the pitch is in some way offensive to us, the fans that we have the opportunity to present a card to the players who, you know, I I don't think performed as well as we need them to, as well as we would like them to uh, for this club that we love so much. And so we're going to start handing out blue cards. Um, Today we're going to do it here. You know, it may end up something that that ends up in the post-match reaction. I think that's probably a good time for us to talk about who we're going to blue card for the week. Uh, and I think that if people have listened to a few of these, and especially if people have listened to, you know, what happened in the post-game reaction, what I've said earlier today, my blue card is going to be pretty evident. I'm, I'm giving Brent Bronico a blue card for that absolutely awful back pass that led to the, the, the only goal that New England managed in this match. Yeah, I think that's a really good call out for the blue card. Um I think we can do this relatively quickly because we've talked about him a lot. Um, I am going to uh, pull out a blue card, and I did this before. I highlighted a player who has a lot of uh, spotlight on him, and so the expectations are very high. But when you have the sort of resume that my my blue card player, Christian Fuchs, has, uh, you are expected to perform to a certain level. You know, it's, it's sad that the... Uh, Oftentimes the dollar value of a player is what we judge a player by. But when, when we put a lot of responsibility on one person, when we give them a lot of the ability to move the team forward, we're giving it to them because we expect a lot from that player. So uh, my blue card is going to be Christian Fuchs. And I know that I'm going to get some backlash for that. But the simple... I mean... Oh, please. I, I think it's an incredibly fair call out, especially in this one. There, I I remember watching a, a moment where the attack is coming in, uh, you know, on the right, and there had been a little bit of a, a shift. I think uh, Bender had tracked back a little bit in defense, um, and I just watched Fuchs drift away from the the player he was supposed to be marking in the center of the eighteen. Yeah. Nothing came of it, but it's one of those where. You know, everybody is marked. You know, there's nobody else that should be picking up that that center back running into the box or, or whoever it was in attack. That's Fuchs's player to to mark, and he just drifts away from him. Um, I think that the demands of playing out on the left are 
just a little too much for him right now. Yeah, I think um, I'm going to step across and say I agree because I I struggled when I rewatched this game. I struggled to see where I felt like Fuchs made bad decisions. Uh, what I saw was a player who was having trouble keeping pace. And as a result, getting left in bad places. And I really have to wonder, I mean, we've talked about this before, that Christian McCoon on the interior... Um, who hopefully will be a bright light for this club, but has not been so far. Have to wonder if maybe we can take a little bit of that really high octane responsibility off of Christian Fuchs and move a very solid, very intelligent defender into the middle of the pitch. Uh, but right now he is not there. Right now he is playing as our left back, and the the way he's playing it isn't awful. But it's definitely leaving some out. And for that, uh, you know, that on a day where everything else was spectacular, a kind of not great performance is is going to be enough to uh, to get you my blue card. Yep. And I think it's perfectly fair. Um, did want to note right before we wrap up that we have uh, an upcoming match this weekend against Cincinnati FC. Uh, and we're going to run into the international break. For those of you who may not be familiar uh, the international break weekends are normally when uh, international competition is played. So qualification for the World Cup, qualification for the regional tournaments around the world. And this is when players who are called up by their country uh, will go play for their national team. So um, MLS doesn't recognize the international break right now, which is not great. Sometimes that means that some of the key players you know, the, the play for the U.S. men's national team aren't available for their teams if they're playing here in MLS. Uh, sometimes, like this weekend, that means that players for MLS clubs uh, are still going to be gone while an MLS match is played. So when we play Cincinnati, we're going to be missing Carol Swiderski, who is with the Polish team. Uh, we're going to be missing Ellen Franco in the midfield uh, for Ecuador and Christian McCoon in the back line for Venezuela. Um, you know, obviously, it's going to be some some gaps uh, in the normal starting 11. I think it's a great opportunity for some of the players that we have, you know, the Mackenzie Gates, maybe the Derek Jones, uh, you know, to get an opportunity to step in and maybe see if they can show something in the starting 11 that might impress. Yeah, that is a really good call out because some of the other players that we may get in the future may, uh, may experience this as well. I mean, we just recently acquired Kamil Jaswiak and uh, he is also a Polish player and will likely uh, be experiencing the same thing. So we'll get to see a little bit more about the squad depth and uh, maybe who, like you said, gets deputized for these places. I do, right before we leave, uh, want to go ahead and pass along. I have promised in previous podcasts uh, that I would be getting a Ben Bender shirt. I want everyone to know it is on the way, and you will be <laughs> seeing me in it shortly. Uh, uh, with that sort of final thought... Ladies and gentlemen, we love you. We thank you so much for sharing this time with us, and we are going to wrap it up here for today. Goodbye. <laughs>